Hey everyone, I'm Ian Skura. And I'm Emily Hickmott. And welcome back to The Beat. This week's question is... What does it take to be a keeper? Similar to last week, we reached out to five different experts on our topic from different parts of the country. This week's guests are Rachel Heald, Robbie Sluss, Albert Brugeau, Basim Ashgar, and Tony Rodriguez. With our guests, we hope to introduce voices you might not have heard from that represent a diverse group of experiences. We will continue doing our best to find new voices, but if you have any recommendations or ideas, please let us know in the Google form linked to the description of this podcast. With that, let's jump right into the interviews. Welcome back. Um, our first guest this episode is Robbie Sloss. Robbie started playing Quidditch in the spring of 2017, where he helped take a talented Texas State team to a World Cup 10 finals appearance. He then went on to play for the MLQ Championship Austin Outlaws in 2017. He played two league series before receiving a season-ending injury, but was still part of that championship-winning team. After taking a year off of Quidditch, Robbie returned to join the newly formed Texas Hill Country Heat in the fall of 2018. Um, helping them make a national finals appearance in 2019. After that standout 2018-2019 USQ season, Robbie was selected to be a part of the U.S. national team and played in the 2019 Pan American Games, where he received a gold medal with Team USA. He has no direct pets in his house right now, but he has his parents' pet, Sophia the Chihuahua, who is very protective of her family. Um, Robbie, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad to have you. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. And so just to jump right in, what are some things you found effective to help you grow as a keeper in the sport of Quidditch? So for me personally, uh, you know, I kind of joined late in the game. I started, you know, my senior year halfway through the season to joining. So it really helped me grow. First off is just talking to experienced players I think that everyone offers some great information or critique on how you can improve your game. And no one looks at the game the exact same way. So the more people you can talk to, the more information you can gather, it's really going to help you out. The second thing that really helped me out was going back and watching film. I know it's not like readily available for every player out there, but if you have a friend that can record you when you're playing. The more that you can watch yourself and what you're doing in situations really can help you grow. I love watching the things I do well, but more importantly, the mistakes I make, because if I can see it and what I did and my thought process and how I approached it, I can go back and change it. So those, those are the two main things that have really been helpful for me. Um, and so, I mean, coming into it later in your, like in college um, and having to kind of grow into a team that clearly was very talented. I mean, that, that Texas State team went to the finals that year. What kinds of things did you focus on to be able to so quickly? I mean, you said you're talking to a lot of players and and um, studying film, but what kinds of things do you look for when you're on the field to help kind of stay aware and learn as much as you can from, from every situation? For me, I guess, uh, you know, coming in there, it was more about trying to make as few mistakes as possible just watching where people lined up, just staying focused at all times, not letting anybody have a chance to take my spot. That's what I really focused on is because, as you said, they were a really tight group that was already formed. 
And so I had to go and work my way through there and, and through the depth chart to, to get time to play. And so any opportunity I had, I wanted to show that, you know, hey, I'm here, I can help this team win. Because at the end of the day, that's what every team wants to do. And that also makes sense too, I guess, like finding your role within a team and, and doing what you can to fit within that and yeah, and help your team in the ways you know you can. When I did step in there, I became known as a passer. I wasn't a driver. I wasn't really known as a scorer. My main thing is I wanted my teammates to look good. So the quickest way I could find that was just being a, essentially a point guard in basketball is just how could I deliver the ball perfectly to my teammates to put them in a position to score. For me, I didn't, I didn't care about the shine of scoring. I just wanted my teammates to have that feeling of scoring. And for some reason, I don't know, there weren't a lot of, you know, females getting the chance to score. So when I was on the field, I thought, Hey, people are leaving them open. I'm going to hit, you know, Jenna being a primary example was always open on the corner hoop for me and she would always be there to score. So I took advantage of any opportunity I could to sort of just stand out. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I have always loved about how you play is you always know how to make everyone on your team succeed and you like genuinely want everyone to get much, much better. And you are always looking for that person who is the in the best place to score. And I think that's a really, really awesome thing about you. Defensively, we kind of in our heads had like there are kind of two molds of defensive keepers we have the long lanky people and then the people who just like lay out hits where do you kind of feel like you fall on that spectrum and how do you kind of use your past like experiences in sports to shape that so i would definitely say i'm probably more of the long lanky keeper it definitely took some time, I, I'll say probably about a year and a half for me to, to start fully being like, okay, if this person gets this close at some point, you just have to hit them. And now my mentality is, you know, if they're going to shoot it, I'll block it. But if they step in my range, my goal is to hit them and make them think twice before, you know, trying to drive through again. That's, that's essentially where I stand. I grew up playing just all sorts of sports, mainly baseball, which as fun as and great baseball is, there's not really much that transitions too much besides the throwing aspect. Mm-hmm. But just playing, you know, street football, street basketball with my brother and my friends growing up, I think that's really where I developed my awareness of where my players are at all times position-wise, which has really helped on both offense and defense as far as making key passes or being able to direct people where to go and uh, just putting everyone in the right position on offense or defense so we're all on the same page, communicating accordingly. So when you are setting up as a keeper, what specifically are you looking for, both on defense and on offense? Okay, we'll start on defense. The main thing that I look for is not necessarily the opponent, which I think a lot of people would tend to go for. I look at who is in my line who I'm playing with and what are their strengths. Typically I like to run man just because I trust everyone on my team that they can, they can match up on their opponent. And so I'll typically start with that unless, you know, it's just not working. We'll switch to a two, two, but in most cases I trust all my teammates, like their strengths. Hey, they can guard this person. Or if I feel like, Hey, that there's a mismatch on our, who we're guarding, I'm going to go ahead and switch us to a two, two. So the main thing is just who is in my line, 
Secondly, I want to look at how the other team's playing. If they're super aggressive and they just keep rushing in, I want to switch to a 2-2 as, as quickly as possible. That way I have assistance down low. If they get beat out, they can tag in and we're still covering the hoops. And I can adjust, uh, you know, if someone gets beat up top, I can send the second person out while the other person's tagging in and sort of keep a fluid rotation going. And versus if they're more slower or passive, I want to play more man so we can, you know, provide more pressure on their team to force them to either make a pass they don't want to make or drive in and take a shot they don't want to do. So it really just depends on what the other team's doing. On the offensive side, the main thing I'm looking for is where is the space? And I think, uh, you know, Ethan really did a great job of, of helping me see that uh, when I was up at the USNT during that week. I didn't really understand what people were saying before that when they're saying, hey, take the space, take the space. And so when, you know, everyone's rotating around, there's usually a hole that you can eat up and it forces the bludgers uh, or the beaters to make more aggressive plays on you or gives your beaters a chance to sort of step in and create some chaos, which is, I always enjoy chaos. <laughs> I find it much easier to do my job when the other team uh, is panicking. And then going through both that offense and defensive side again, are there ways you're communicating with your, your own beaters as well to help kind of facilitate that chaser game and, and keep the whole team on the same page? Oh, absolutely. I think it's important not just for the keeper to talk to their chasers, but also the beaters. The beaters are typically focused, you know, where is either the quaffle or where the bludgers are. And, but it's usually one or the other. It's not them at the same time. So if I see our players are getting beat, I'm yelling to our beaters like, hey, we need help on this side. Or, uh, you know, Tate K does a great job where he'll swing around and come up from the backside and either just try to seal the ball or make a beat. And I know there's probably some other beaters that do it, but he's the first one that comes to the top of my head that makes a play like that. And so just communicating, like if they lose track of where that other beater is, hey, he's coming up behind you, whatever I need to say or whatever, our, our, we have you know sometimes a code word that we'll use to mark somebody, whatever I need to do to get their attention to make sure that they're alert so we're not either losing control or putting ourselves in a bad situation for an easy bucket for the other team. So... Do you have any players who you have really enjoyed playing against? Yes. Uh, you know, of course, I got to go with Augie. Augie's always been fun to play against. I mean, I don't I don't really think there's anything that can be said that hasn't already been said about him. Just terrific player. And even though now I go against him more as when he's playing as a beater role, uh, just his knowledge and experience in the game, I feel like I always learn something or see some new trick that, you know, helps my game. Uh, also, Colin Friday, I don't think he gets talked about a lot on a national scale. Also, playing at Calvary over there is their primary keeper now. He is just so fast. I don't think you can say enough about him. He has been really, really good for their team, and I enjoy going against him because he always he makes me work. So it's, it's really great seeing him step up on the field and what he's been able to do. And lastly, even though he's a teammate of mine, uh, Miguel. Miguel has, he makes me work at practice more than anybody else just because he's, he's conditioning, man. He is more prepared than anybody else out there. And so whenever we're doing our drills, whenever we're doing scrimmages, there's always a fast break option with him because he'll just pick it up and take it the rest of the way. And so it always makes you, you know, you can't ever get any downtime. And I think that, you know, part of the reason that I've been able to grow and stay in such good shape and, and work as hard as I do is because of him. So I definitely want to give him a shout out there. And then do you have any players or just teammates that you've played with that you think have helped 
just shape your game into what it is now? Oh, absolutely. There's so many players I love and so many great teammates I've had, but just a, a couple that have stood out. You know, Jackson Johnson, of course, is just, you know, he's been my captain since I started at Texas State. And I really think that he's helped me grow in the game ever since I first started and making sure I understand, you know, just different situations or how I should be playing. And even though, you know, he's a primary beater, it's uh, playing with him. He opens up so many holes and, and opportunities for me to, to do what I do best. So he's made the game a lot easier for me. And I can't say enough about him. Thank him so much for everything he's done. Also, uh, Sam Ham, which you guys had on last week, mm-hmm. he's he's done the same thing for me. I mean, he kind of took me under his wing when I first uh, we first teamed up, and sort of made sure that I understood the game more of a situational standpoint, and just a, at a deeper level of thinking for the game. Just not not necessarily something I did when I first joined Heath. I uh, just kind of let my talent go through and kind of carry me, and sort of made me realize, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than just that. And I know that you mentioned them earlier, Ian, but the uh, UNST line I played with, Harry, Parker, and Rachel, that line was one of the most fun lines I've played with. I mean, just from a talent talent standpoint and rotation, like you said, the ball never stopped moving between us four. I think communication-wise, we were great out there. We took up the space, and it, it was just fun. It didn't feel like we were really doing anything but, you know, just messing around almost it was, it was just a great time it, i mean it was it was just a great time yeah i think that's what uh, you're having fun you just don't even think about it so kind of talking about the u.s national team like comparatively you have i would say like two to three years of experience playing quidditch is that accurate right yeah yeah about two and a half at this point. Yeah. So you, I feel like, have made that national team well-deservedly so with that amount of experience compared to, like, Jake Archibald or some of the other players who have literally been on, like, playing Quidditch for, like, eight-plus years. How do you feel like that perspective you bring as someone who hasn't necessarily been in the sport so long has kind of shaped your development and your experience on the national team? That's a great question. Yeah, that's actually something I definitely did notice when I first got out there and I'm looking at the roster and how many players are, are well-known. I mean, you're talking about some some big-time names that everyone recognizes. And I was sitting there with just about two years of, of playing experience, and I knew that I had a lot to learn. But I think that that was really good because I got to speak, you know, with Jake, with uh, Tyler Trudeau and, and Augie and sort of learn more from them about the position. I got to room with Ethan and just talk about film and understanding uh, on a deeper level of how the keeper position is supposed to be played, where it should be situationally and, and stuff like that. I think that it kind of gave me the underdog mentality and made me work extra hard because I wanted to prove like, hey, I know that I'm new, but I deserve to be here. I'm one of the top keepers in the country and I just want to prove it. But I also do want to say that I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at without the teammates that I've had. They've helped me along the way, um, you know, through playing, through practicing, through teaching and coaching. It is about the situation you're put in, and that definitely does help your development. So I think that if there are players that don't feel like they're growing as quickly or as much as they 
they would like to, you know, reach out to some of the more experienced players and just talk to them and figure out what you should be doing a little differently. Because I know that I stepped into a really lucky situation with so many veterans, so many guys who've played on USA before and current roster spots there, but uh, not everyone's like that. So, you know, if any, any keepers out there do have questions or just uh, want to talk about it, feel free to message me. I'd be happy to, to help them out or any player in general, I guess, not, not just keepers, but uh, any way that I can help out, I'd be happy to do so. So today we have our first international guest, Albert, Albert, <laughs> Albert Brejo. Albert Brejo. Albert has been playing since 2014. He started playing for the Paris Phoenix. Um, he has been the French champion five times with the Paris Titans and has won four European Quidditch champions with them as well and is currently the coach of that team. He plays for the French national team and has won the European Games two times and has previously also coached the French national team. He previously held the position of president for the French Federation and is currently also the coach of the Olympians. Um, a fun fact about Albert is he is currently living with Tarzan, who is also from the French national team and who is got very cool hair um, and I think is one of the pers the person who dived through the hoop in World Cup 6 um, when the French team came to the U.S. And he also has a Twitch channel that you should definitely check out. So welcome out there. Thank you. Hey, um, I guess just jumping into some questions. Um, so as a pretty internationally accomplished keeper in the sport of Quidditch. Um, how have you kind of grown into the position of playing keeper? Um, and what are some things you found to help you improve along the way? Mm, actually, I started uh, playing keeper just because, you know, the team was super new and we didn't have that many keepers able to even the game at some point so i was happy to join to fill up uh, any hole in the team and i come from basketball i'm not even mm -hmm. playing uh guard uh on on basketball but still uh i met some new people and it feels natural since i came from another sport that i can deal passes and i don't know maybe you experience by leading offense and defense so according to what i understood at this time keeping was like the obvious position on the yeah. field and yeah and just because of that uh, i i played a lot of games with more people girls and guys so i learned to play with them we have Build up, built up a pretty strong passing game. I love this, and I think that playing keeper helped me to to build this up with the team. So the more I played with them, the more they played with me, the better. So yeah, keeping. <laughs> I sometimes switch to chaser mm -hmm. when needed, but. From like the film that I've seen of you, you're someone who's really, really great at drawing the focus of a defense on offense and then finding your open players. So how do you kind of, how have you kind of built that skill? 
Hmm, that's super interesting. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm the kind thinking and teaching people, coaching them that as a keeper and as any player with the quaffle, you must at some point be or become a triple threat, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Someone who can basically drive, pass and shoot the ball. So if you see or watch any film when I started the game, it was only about going through, driving, but not with agility. It was only strength, like no skill at all. <laughs> so uh, I build up, I think, this reputation of this guy who cannot do nothing else than running through people. So people just get used to have all the attention on me but in the meantime, in the same time, all my passing chasers options in the field were super good athletes and also good receivers, girls and guys. So I knew that, but they couldn't knew that, know that because, yeah, it was 90-95% attention on me. And just because of that, I trained passing game again and again at the training to reason and skills. And... Yeah, you have to go on the Quaffle career just because he can score when the other cannot. So it's super easy to to have the focus on you and then you just have to, you know, train on a shoot. That uh, I like to say that in France, even in the world, but I don't know the world, but in France, maybe in Europe, there is maybe, I don't know, two to five, six players who can actually shoot from a seven meter distance with 100 mm. percent accuracy so you must be on this list this super short list to be a threat and when you are when you train enough uh they will have to focus you also with a beater so my only job is to get tackled beat <laughs> at the same point just because they have to cover the two options and then i will find an obvious four versus two or one versus zero or two versus one option on a chaser mm. and of course it would be held by all the beaters i've got like I, I couldn't be that triple threat by my own but with the beaters doing the the job in the same time in the same motion i mean they have in defense to to make choices and just because we have the upper end at this very time it becomes just like an obvious play and we train a lot to be sure that the pass will be good the chaser will be at the right spot at the right time because sometimes i i'm hoping i'm guessing that the drill works <laughs> enough in the past so i can just blindly pass the ball to some where i know that someone should be mm -hmm. at this point if we want an easy score and i'm super happy with my team because they are all we are all training super hard so we know exactly when and where the ball comes and just because of that yeah i think it built up from year to years starting maybe before the college <laughs> i mean i played basketball with people who are actually in the team right now seven years after so we already knew each other and of course it helped a lot to to find connection in the field so you talk a lot about all the training that you and your team have done. 
Um, do you have any favorite drills or like skills or just like things that you work in training that you feel like have really helped you grow as a keeper? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the state of mind I had and I still have, which is I'm okay to do the same drill for five hours long straight, six times a week if needed, just to be sure that it's now part of my DNA as a player. This uh, try-harding stuff, I mean, I can cut off the fun of training just by uh, visualizing uh, how useful it will be in the in the future. That's something I've got from I don't know where. Something super hard to coach to other people, but this helped me to maintain to maintain drills that are super easy to do, but needs a lot a lot of practice. I remember, uh, I mean, maybe it was six six years ago, we had this player, uh, Leonard. He, he also played with the national team. He's now playing for the, the Berlin, Berlin Brew Cups in, uh, in Germany. Uh, they won the, the, the EQC Division Two last year. And he's coming from rugby. He's a rugby player, number nine, super, super thin, but super technical and he was super bad at catching the ball you know so we decided that we had to train house and house just throwing the ball from far strong so he can learn how to catch the ball and since he wasn't able to to outrun someone or to outweigh someone because he was little and fast we kind of built a situation especially for him I couldn't ask anybody on the team to play the same way he did. So I basically pick and discuss with every single player in the team how he should be able to to get free space on the field and me to use that. But as a keeper, I need maybe thousands and thousands of passes to this very spot, to this very person again and again to be sure that on the field we will finally find each other especially because I know that I will be tired, he will be tired, she will be tired. And because of that, the more we train in before the game, before the tournament, the better in the on the field. And yeah, when we finally get all those indispensable mm -hmm. stuff coming from drills that maybe we can talk about tactics, strategy, stuff I'd love. It's cool, the idea of... I think both um, working on something until you're comfortable with it and also in that same sense, making your weaknesses your strong suits too and building those fundamentals until you don't have to think about them anymore because like you're saying, you're so practiced that you can do it in any situation no matter how tired or how high stakes or uh, how much pressure the game is giving you. And then moving sort of towards the, the defensive side as a keeper, um, how are you helping to set up your team in that keeper position to prepare your defense um, and, and help kind of stop any sort of threat from the other team? Actually, again, my answer is super relative to the Titans and the French national team who've got like super athletic people, girls, guys. And because of that, thanks to that, we all kind of trust each other so my 
in the first place only job is to defend the hoops and because i can trust the point defender because i can trust the man-to-man -man defense we hold on the field i can focus maybe 70 to 80 percent only on the hoops and the 20 30 percent that is left will probably be to you know keep an eye on the on the chaser on the wing alone and maybe helping something bad happen so when i set up the defense i ask the point defend to trust me as a hoop defender so he doesn't have to you know take the bait when someone is faking a shot you don't have to jump if someone tried to make you jump you just focus on the hips on the feet and because you can trust behind you and because I trust you, I won't overthink the fact that someone could drive you or screw you. And this particular cohesion, trust, uh, confidence, and everything, this helped a lot. And I didn't even speak about the beaters, which who we definitely trust even more. Like. I know that I don't have to do everything in defense, the same stuff. I don't need to do everything in offense. Just because I trust people and tr people trust me, it's super easy to focus on the writing. It's just because we, we split what we have to do in the field. And the best way to, to do that is confidence, trust. Um, shifting a little bit, just to sort of a different kind of question but do you have any players out there that you've enjoyed playing against um whether that's playing offense against or defense against just as a keeper that have like helped you grow into the player you are yeah i mean there's a lot of players i i love playing against but for different reasons i'd say like i i won't maybe pick you know a name or a particular yeah. play of style but yeah there is those people who are not afraid of me like there is no reason to be afraid of me but <laughs> there is a lot of people who are for the wrong reasons sometimes you know so every person uh who wants badly deadly to get me i had this opportunity to talk with a player leander troll uh, in the in the german team uh, also playing for Bern, mm -hmm. who was telling me and the other guys on the team that He's got a list, you know, and he has to cross check names because on this list, there is only people he wants to tackle down. <laughs> and these kind of guys, it helped me growing a lot because I'm like, yeah, okay, 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 okay. First thing first, like maybe putting me on the ground won't helping you winning, but okay, you are not here for winning, you are here for the tackling part. So even this little part, I won't give it to you. So it's super, super cool. I also have these persons, uh, girls or uh, girls or guys, key, who, who say to me, like, even before uh, the tournament even starts, you know, we are just with our packs and saying hi to people. And you have those people, you know, from Dodos, Dodos is the Belg Belgium team, like our best opinion team uh, for years, definitely. And aces from this team would come to me and say, hey, Albert, how are you? See you in the final. And I was, oh, 
okay, okay, this kind of, we are not even on the field. We are not even talking Quidditch. We, we, we could do, I don't know, anything. So these people obviously helped me to, to focus because, okay, so now we have a deal. We have to be in the final. And of course we will be, and they will be. That's, it's awesome. You have also these people which are who you, you know, you end a game, you win for some reason. Sometimes because I did, uh, I did a good game, maybe a bad game, I don't care. And those people will say, okay, that now you beat us, you must win the tournament. So we can say that we only lost to the winner. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Because I had already reasons to win because I love to win. And I love to, to, to have all the team accomplishing something. So yeah, I, I was okay with winning in the first place. But now that, okay, every single team we beat, we have probably 21 players in one team, maybe seven team. Okay, so that's 140 players that are definitely winning us to win because there is only one way they lose. It's from the champion. I, it's like super cool as a keeper, but just as a player, of course. And the Quidditch community, especially the players who want deadly to win and who are passionate on field and outside the field, those are the people who who give me faith in the next years and also I enjoy and enjoyed and will enjoy playing against. Kind of shifting gears, same kind of general question, but do you have any players you've really enjoyed playing with? So I know a lot of the national team and the Titans team core is the same. So if there's anyone who you feel like you really just like absolutely love playing with, that would be great to know. Yeah, uh, if I had to pick only one, it would be pretty easy. I mean, I started Quidditch uh, with another player. Uh, his name is Valentin. He's from Titans and also from the national team, of course. And he, we had like the kind of same backstory. We went from a, a sports school, university. Uh, he's now a sport teacher. Uh, I was a coach for seven years of my uh, professional life uh, in gymnastic and yeah we started from scratch playing Quidditch like some again random being at the random place and a random moment but we finally met and we played the first EQC it was muddy as hell it was super funny to play but cold and when we were you know meeting new people French people, they were like, okay, we miss our best players. It will be super hard to to win, to do this, to do this. And there were not that many, you know, athletic players at this time. So it was him and I, and we basically played world game, world tournament. We had to play every single, you know, uh, seeker, beater, keeper. I don't know. You have to do all the stuff by yourself and. It was my only option, even though I didn't know what is it, what, what was an option at this time <laughs> in offense. I don't know. It was like super uh, enthusiastic moments. And after that, we decided that, okay, we discovered a new sport. We know that uh, if we need, if we want to, to go further, we, we will have to make something. So I bring maybe five to 10 of my personal friends. He take he took uh, five or ten of his personal friends, 
and we build up a team that we think could make you know going places in the future and it happened actually so obviously thanks to that i i met some more people i enjoyed playing with and i still enjoy playing with so yeah i will go with with him but obviously there was a lot of player i love playing with So our next guest on the podcast this week is Rachel Heald, um, who started playing Quidditch at Kansas, um, played there for four years uh, from 2015 to 19, and also played three seasons with the Kansas City Stampede and was the coach in the 2019 season. Um, Rachel has also been a part of the U.S. national team playing at the 2018 World Cup and the 2019 Pan American Games. Um, and then was a part of the Bosnian Bear Sharks um, this, well, what was last year's USQ season, but was only able to play for one tourney just based on how the season went, sadly. And Rachel has great animals all around in Ohio. She has Nala and Oliver, the cats, who are slowly becoming best friends. And then in Kansas, her family has two corgis and a new kitten, and Coco, who is the younger of the corgis, is currently on a diet because she can't get up the stairs, which is just a great visual. Just kind of imagine a corgi not being able to get upstairs, and that's the image that is going to live rent-free in my head. So welcome, Rachel. (laughs) Hi. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. And I guess just to jump in... Um, so what are some things you've found to be effective in growing into that position and uh, helping you improve along the way? Yeah, I would say that things that have helped me a lot is just learning how to effectively communicate with my team, um, especially going from playing with just Kansas to Kansas City Stampede, where we integrate a lot of Mizzou players. Um, you learn that keeping changes from team to team and understanding what your uh, other players expect from you as you're kind of that last line of defense. And what are some things like specific drills um, that you feel like have really helped shape who you are as both like an offensive and defensive keeper? Yeah, um, defensively, I would say um, I've done a few drills that work on basically closing out players that are catching the ball near the hoops. And trying to make that decision on, is this an opportunity to try to just block their shot? Do I have time to go make a hit on them? That, at least when I first started keeping, I was really bad at making those decisions. So drills that work on that. And then just anticipating plays around the hoops. It's always a tough balance of depending on who the player is catching the ball and like how good their shot is from range or just where they're positioned when they're catching and knowing how much time you have to make that split second decision, but it's such an important one and such a tricky one as a keeper. Yeah. And I definitely learned that depending on the type of defense you're playing, sometimes you are able to go make that hit in situations you usually wouldn't be if your team is ready to rotate in the hoops behind you also. How do you kind of train that rotation process? Cause I feel like that's one thing a lot of teams struggle with is like when your keeper does step out or does leave the hoops, how are you like getting someone else to then go and cover it is something that I think could definitely be improved on in a lot of teams. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
what I've done in the past with um, the teams that I've like captained and coached is we actually rotate through our defense and the offensive players kind of slowly pass the ball into certain positions to help you talk through those rotations. Because I mean, depending on your players' backgrounds, a lot of times those rotations don't come easily, especially for people that like haven't played basketball and things like that. So I think just honestly talking through it with your team almost every practice or at least once a week is super helpful. What are some things you think translate well from basketball? Because the keepers we've talked to at least um, have already mentioned basketball as like a sport that transitions well to keeper. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious what your thoughts are on like how those skills translate to this position too. Defensively, uh, when I play keeper, it feels a lot like being the five in the middle of a zone for basketball. You're the person that sees the whole defense. You can communicate with your team where to go and you can kind of pick up the slack if like your team over rotates and things like that to stop the drives before they get to the goal or to the hoops. I also feel like anticipating plays feels a lot like a full court press in basketball, the way that you're just kind of beating throws sometimes and going after that pass feels the same also. I feel like so much of having like your defense react is getting the ball to the person or place where you want it to go and then attacking that place. Yeah. know that uh, they're always going to try and run their offense through the specific play, trying to bait that and then reacting off of it is like, right. So when you are setting up as a keeper, what specifically are you looking for in, and this is on defense specifically, how are you, I want to say like marshalling your team into specific (laughs) places. I would say that I think that a lot of setting up your team for defense as a keeper depends on who you're playing and also who your three point and off ball chasers are um, so that you can realistically like assess how you need to play as a keeper. So let's say, for example, you have three solid hitters as your defensive chasers with you you know, I can then realize that I'm in a position more to go after a pass that's near the hoops and I don't need to help out and be in more of a help position if I know that the other team is really great on driving and being able to get by my point defender. And same with if you know the other team has a few good shooters, you have to stick by the hoops. You can't always go for that pass behind the hoops instead. Personally, as a keeper, I think a lot about of like our team versus theirs and how we're going to perform on defense and how I need to adjust to that. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense, especially, I mean, I guess it's probably been true for a long time, but it it also feels like the way that Quidditch is moving to is really about kind of assessing your matchups and what team you're playing, like you're saying, because there's so many different ways to approach attacking the hoops, but like being that keeper and being able to anticipate um, the ways that that team might be most effective and, and being able to safeguard those, I guess, the most. So you have kept and you have chased and I know you've had to do those like in the same game how do you kind of go from switch your mindset from being like okay right now I'm doing chaser things to doing keeper things because I feel like it they are different in what their expectations are especially on defense so how do you kind of like mentally make that switch if that makes sense yeah um mentally the the 
biggest mistake I always make is forgetting if I have to reset the ball after they score. <laughs> That's always a struggle. <laughs> but um, I would say that when I moved to Chaser, because if I start out keeper, I am in this mindset of like communicating with my team, talking everyone through the defense, what's happening if we need to adjust. And then moving to a chaser position immediately after that on defense, it's weird to not be in that same communication role. And so a lot of times at KU, we would have a younger keeper come in and I would have to kind of remind them or talk with them like, hey, what do you like? What are you seeing? Where do we need to adjust? Um, and maybe followers, not the right word but being able to be led more on defense when you can't see everything is I feel like for me, a big mental adjustment. Um, Cause you're more of like the physical side of defense at that point and not the communicator. And then on offense, kind of like touching on what you're saying with communication and helping um, talk through things with your keeper. If you are in that chaser role and switching to that, I've also noticed it seems like, you're a great facilitator that way on offense, no matter what position you're playing and finding that balance of what level of communication you need to help like facilitate your team's offense, um, whether that's keeper or chaser. And I think a lot of teams, especially newer teams often just rely on whoever that keeper is to run the off, like start running the offense instead of having it be whoever like is able to see the field well, or might be, um, like just more experienced or, or have that skill set. So do you think there are ways that like chasers can help kind of communicate with their keepers and their other chasers to more evenly distribute how the offense is run as opposed to just always trying to run it through one keeper? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there have been, I've been on teams where um, when we get new players, they just assume that the keepers who runs the defense, which isn't true. A lot of times keepers will run fast breaks because they see the whole pitch in front of them, um, things like that. But I think it's really important to make sure that you're sharing ball carrying responsibilities. And as a chaser, if you're not the keeper and you want some of that responsibility, um, and also just to be able to distribute and start your offense from different points on the field, um, I feel like that's a full team discussion because you can't exactly like tell a keeper, Hey, give me the ball. Yeah. Um, that's always kind of <laughs> awkward, but I definitely feel like it's kind of an entire team understanding that you can't always run the offense through one person just because they have a green headband on, or that's just what you're used to because like that person gets injured, you're screwed. I think it's very important to be able to start your offense through many people and that's probably a weak point on a lot of teams now that you bring that up. Yeah. I know when I was playing with Tufts um, on a line with like Ethan, Noah, and Brendan, the way we would start an offense is one of us who was off ball would make the cut. So like we would set up kind of where we wanted to be and how we would want to attack. And then someone would make a cut and the offense would go on that as opposed to the like ball carrier making a step or making a decision. And like, I think it worked pretty well, relatively like consistently because more often than not, defenses are going to be looking where the ball is to see when that offense is going to start going. And like, you're not really 
always the most aware of people like moving off ball. And so because our defense would like our offense would you would have like someone cut and then everyone would make the move to where they were expected to be. Like we knew where we were going, but the defense hadn't adjusted to whatever cut had just happened. And so they were always like kind of a step behind and we were able to get a lot of really great space from that. So I think like varying what like sets the offense off and like what causes it to like attack basically is really important. Absolutely. So Rachel, do you have any players you've enjoyed particularly playing against, um, whether that's on the offensive side or defensive side? Um, <laughs> I feel like this is a hard question because yeah, <laughs> when I when I feel good about the way that I play, <laughs> it's usually against people that we beat. But you shouldn't enjoy playing people that you consistently beat, you know. Yeah. But people I enjoy watching <laughs> is I really like watching like John Jackson play keeper, and I really enjoy watching Trudeau play. I don't like playing against them. That's awful. <laughs> but it's fun watching them. <laughs> No, I feel that on many levels. Watching John Jackson play Quidditch has always been like one of the most fun things to do. It's just, oh, look, John just murdered a person. Yeah, just just run through an entire team and crush someone at the hoop. You're like, oh, that sucks while you are watching from the sideline. <laughs> so do you have any players you've really enjoyed playing with? Yeah, I honestly, some of my favorite players um, that I play with are point defenders that like to just like shove people in the ground and start a fast break. So like playing with like Brian Mulcahy and Justin Cole, my one tournament with them was tons of fun. And Ian McCabe from Kansas is the same way. And also they're the same type of people. I feel like talking in general about players like these three, Players like this are also the best people when the keeper picks up the ball, they're just sprinting down the pitch. And I love nothing more than to pick up the ball and just be able to chuck it down to someone and then they do the rest of the work. That's ideal for me. <laughs> it's also, it just, it shifts the defense trying to recover so much too to have a deep threat every time the ball turns over. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, having played with Justin and Brian, I have not played with Ian, but I'm sure it is very similar. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Ian was probably going to be wrong, but like state champ in like 100 and two me 100 meter and 200 meter sprints, I don't know how many times in Kansas. And just so nice to be like, I'm going to throw it and he'll get there first. Uh, love speedy people. You're just like, you go be speedy. <laughs> you, <laughs> you go do that for us. <laughs> So our next guest on the show is Basim Ashkar, um, who started playing Quidditch at the University of Rochester um, and started playing keeper from 2014 to 18, serving as a captain there for about one and a half seasons. Um, while there, University of Rochester was 2017-18 Northeast Regional Champion and National Champion. He helped coach UR during the 2018-19 season. Uh, where you are one to the 2018 and 19 Northeast Regional Championship as well. Basim also played on the Rochester Whiteout for MLQ, um, playing keeper and chaser from 2015 to 2019. 
um, serving as a coach in 2016, and then was also named the North Division MVP in the 2018 season. And back in USQ as well, he's played for the Bosnian Bear Sharks, playing keeper um, from 2018 to 2020. Um, and helping them win the Northeast uh, Club Regional Championship in 2018 and 19. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we are really excited to get to talk to you. Um, you've obviously been very great at Keeper for many, many years. And so what are some things that you have found to be effective to improve your keeping skills? So for me, I bring in a lot of my basketball background when I'm keeping. Um, and I think for this conversation, I'll probably separate defense and offense. Cause um, while I do play like the stereotypic, like point chaser as keeper, I think that can be anyone. It doesn't necessarily have to be the keeper. So starting defensively, that definitely was like a hundred percent just basketball intuition and like agility and, and stuff like that coming in. But obviously without practicing or anything, those, those skills dull. So one drill that I did a lot was I had pretty much every chaser on the team. And it was also for them because, you know, shooting practice, but I would just have them line up at like behind the keeper zone and they would just rip shots at any of the hoops from the keeper zone line. And I would just stand there and try to block as many shots as I could. Um, like one at a time, not just like all simultaneously. Yeah. That'd be pretty impossible. Um, you would start becoming right. the goalie from uh, <laughs> the Mighty Ducks at that point, just taking shots to the ball. <laughs> or that one, that one like YouTube video with the the keeper who just keeps getting hit in the head. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was one thing that I mean, it felt miserable every time I did it because I was like, oh wow, I'm a really bad keeper. But it, it translates over time because you know as much as we like to think that the keeper zone is pretty far for a shot, it's really not. <laughs> and they get hard to, to block when someone's like throwing the ball as hard as they can through the hoops. That's probably the one drill I would recommend most for de like defense, uh, at least for shot blocking. I also like situational scrimmages, not really scrimmages, but you know, situational sets where here's a situation this team has budget control. Your team doesn't have budget control. For an example, uh, you're down like 20. You need to get a stop here. Or you're down 30. You need to get a stop here. What are you going to do? And I think that's good for everyone on the team, but I think it's really good for for keepers as well as like um, the person who gets to see the most of the field uh, while on defense, and it helps improve like communication and stuff. Offensively, for anyone leading an offense or point defending, uh, I think most – important and on, honestly easiest to forget are the fundamentals no matter how talented or how developed you are as a player you can always improve your fundamentals at u of r we did a lot of for everybody not just me and like keepers but for every every quaffle player and, and beaters would join sometimes but we did a lot of like uh, agility ladders like one drill i adapted from from basketball my time in basketball in high school was like down the field you there were like three uh spots like one at first keeper zone one at midfield and one at the other keeper zone and there'd be like three defenders and they wouldn't do like full defense but you know the first 
if at the first defender you do like a like a simple juke like a simple cut move around them second one you do like a spin move and then the third one you do like any juke move of your choice and then you take a shot and i think those were always really helpful and you would you know alternate sides because spin like for example spin moves always way harder to one side than the other you know we all have our natural balances and tendencies so it's good to really take care of that and, and get used to moving in any direction and i guess that segues as well i think one of the most important things you can do to improve your keeping skills or you know point chaser skills is just increasing your versatility you can't ever pick up too many skills the more things that you can do uh the harder it is it will be to guard you um and not even necessarily for your own performance but if you are more difficult to guard you know that opens things up for your teammates you can make more assists you can you can open things up for other players to score and let your your teammates shine as well yeah i think i mean this is just one example but it's really cool to see when you have players who either become really well known for shooting or just finding that last sort of second pass to one of the outside hoops and then throwing any of those kinds of fakes and how it immediately opens up more options because you keep that defender kind of second guessing what you're going to do all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you on the like importance of fundamentals. Just because like no like no matter what background you have coming into Quidditch, riding a broom changes so many different parts of how like just like the mechanics of how you're doing things. So like even if you know how to make a cut because you've been playing sports for all your life, making a cut with a broom is gonna be a different experience. So really like with Tufts, what we used to do a lot of was like, we called them vitamin drills. And it was literally like just getting in the practice of getting down low and picking up a, like a ball from the ground, a rolling ball, doing fielding. How do you pass? How do you push pass? Literally just like the most basics thing you could practice. But because we practiced them a lot, we never had to worry. Like we had that like base level of like, okay, we feel comfortable in our mechanics. And like, once you have mechanics, it's a lot easier to do a lot of like the tactical and technical things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I like, I like to consider myself pretty athletic and like, it's okay at any point in your Quidditch career, whether you're just starting or not to like embarrass yourself. Um, my, my first, my first season, I like during winter break, uh, I played some pickup basketball and I tore the ligaments in my right thumb and I'm right-handed. Um, so for like two months, I was just practicing lefty and it was, it was super difficult. And I remember that I tried to do a spin move in one of our scrimmages because I was holding the broom with my right hand instead of my left hand, um, like I usually do. And I tried to do a spin move and I completely like just wiped out um, just because like I had at that point, I had adjusted so much to holding the broom with my left hand and like the balance it took that way that when I switched to my right hand, my balance was all thrown off. And normally without a broom, it wouldn't have been a problem. But through my face went into the turf. It was it was embarrassing. But so like don't let anyone or like don't feel too embarrassed if you make some stupid mistake like that. Uh, it's always a learning experience. And I mean, after wiping out once, I didn't wipe out again. So you know, there's always improvement to be had. Uh, so I have a, I have a question for the two of you. Uh, Ian, as another as another keeper, 
and Emily as one of our one of our historically great chasers. What do you guys think about when you're uh, like ball carrying? How do you hold the ball? Like for me, I like I just palm it in in my hand. I know some people like to tuck it like a football. How do you guys feel about what's the better way to hold the ball as you're as you're making plays? Emily, do you want to go or do you want me to go first? Uh, you can go first because I want to think about things. <laughs> That's fair. So I also palm the ball with my usually my right hand. But I usually palm it because I like the I like having the freedom of being able to do anything at any moment, whether that's drive or pass more easily with the ball palmed in my hand. I don't know. It's tough because it can more easily get poked out than if it's tucked. Generally, I always taught um, at Middlebury at least to if you could palm the ball to palm the ball and if you couldn't to almost approach it like a water polo um, kind of handle where if your hand's not big enough to palm it, you kind of cradle it so that you can still be ready to shoot or pass uh, kind of as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah, I agree with most of what Ian said. So I like to have it out just because it's easier for me to like a pass or something from there. But I also know that like I have relatively large hands and I have people who cannot necessarily palm a ball. So I think that's when like the cradle happens more often. A lot of it was like trial and error and seeing what worked best for me. Just kind of figuring out what works for you as an individual player is really important. And again, going back to what you said, being able to do both is really great. Being a versatile player is very important. Yeah, I, I totally agree with both of you. I, I think finding what's best for you as a player is the ideal. Um, but I, I personally like the versatility that comes with palming the ball. And, you know, yes, having big hands is definitely an advantage in that sense. But, I mean, my hands aren't big enough to, like, wrap around a basketball, and I can still palm a basketball. So, you know, don't don't just assume, like, if your hands are smaller that you wouldn't be able to do that. Like, we had, we had um, women chasers on U of R who were, like, the year I coached after I graduated – um, they were our primary and secondary ball handlers, and they were they were holding the ball, palming it just fine, and they were, you know, 5'5". Five, five. I think it makes it much easier to employ, like when you're palming it rather than tugging, it makes it much easier to employ skills like, like ball fakes, you know, pass fakes, shot fakes, and even just like being able to switch the ball to your other hand yeah. if you're like if, if like like let's say someone wraps you and they wrap your right arm if you're, your your arm is tucked you can't really do anything with the, that ball and at that point you're at the mercy of like beaters and the chaser that's tackling you whereas if you can switch it to your other hand you can you know make some kind of play or at least like dish it off to someone and i and i think being able to like palm it gives you that ability to push pass which you know, when you see a chaser running up on you or a beater running up on you, you want to get the ball out like as quickly as possible when that like bludger is getting thrown at you. Like not necessarily just like throwing it as soon as you see him running at you, but you want to get that ball out just so it's not like a beat before and then like a pass and a turnover. And like being able to push pass really cuts down the time of like just winding up and making that pass. And it totally takes the beater out of play if you can do it right. If you are worried about when you're having it in your palm, working on grip strength is really great. Cause if you have just like your hand is physically stronger, 
it's easier to grip that. And um, I was so excited when I was rock climbing. So I was like, oh, yay, my grip's going to get so much stronger. But then I stopped rock climbing. Right? <laughs> so it's not anymore. But I think that's something that, like, if you are worried about someone knocking the ball out of your hand when you're holding it away, if you just get really, really strong hands, it'll be great. So transitioning a bit, uh, do you have any players uh, that you particularly enjoyed playing against? And I guess to make this a little simpler and hopefully less mean because some people have pointed out that this question could be answered in a way that's insulting um just like people that you've played against that have helped shape um your game into the way it is so whether that's like challenging you or just changing the way that you approach uh playing the positions you do there's so many um yeah i think well i mean i think any player should be looking at every game as an opportunity to learn whether they win or lose i can say just several players that I've I've liked playing against. I think my favorite player to play against is is um Nathan Digman. Mm-hmm. He's just he's just a wonderful dude. And he is just always he's always such a good sport. Like I, like even before I knew him and we like playing MLQ and it was like the first time I played against him. He was just like, you know, it was like heated. The game was heated. And there was like a potential snitch bull and me and him were just like near each other during like the, the stoppage of play it's just like hey how's it going I'm like oh you know it could be better <laughs> and it was just it was great it was great he's always good to play against and he's definitely someone to learn from as an opponent i was always a defensive player when i played basketball not so much in quidditch but like in basketball for sure i was like very prideful in keeping any opponent in front of me no matter how good they were like not letting him get by me or like cross me over and the first time i played point defense against nathan digman he just first step of any drive or cut is just like so much larger than it should be and so like you move in to like make a play or like a tackle and he's already like outside of your body and you're like how how did you get here and you mentioned a few people who you've played with but um are there any people who you feel like have really shaped how you've developed as a player who you've been on a team with yeah i there's so many people uh, i guess i'll like kind of do it chronologically devin sandin lisa coleman anna parker like all my all my upperclassmen when i first joined huge hand in like my growth my first year and i mean at the time you know a lot of teams weren't as athletic as they are now so coming in I, I feel like I had an advantage over a lot of new players. And so like, you know, they definitely aided in my development and like put in time to make sure that I, I learned and stuff. Devin Sandin might be one of the best like distributors that like the sport has seen. Um, definitely like criminally underrated if it wasn't for like how small he was. And like, he's a better tackler than I ever will be. Like was a better tackler. Like he's, he, I don't know if you guys know Jaime, but like Jaime was, a tank. I could never tackle him. And I've seen Devin Sandin tackle him. Um, so like criminally underrated as a, pra- a player. Um, but he, cause I started off as like an off ball chaser when I started playing, like I was keeper, but an off ball player. Cause Devin Sandin was our point chaser. And like, that was really nice to play with and, and get to learn what his looks were and stuff like that. And like Liesl was a utility player 
taught like taught me a lot about you know off ball chasing and like also beating and like how to respond to beaters and, and whatnot um so like my first year of development i think was like my biggest year of development after that i feel like i probably plateaued or at least it wasn't as, as like the growth wasn't as as fast and obviously that's because like a lot more attention was put on me by defenses so like i couldn't you know just do whatever i wanted on the field i remember I was like plateauing a bit with my distributing and not really cutting as much. And um, during MLQ, um, like Alyssa Gyroso and like Helen Snell, um, who don't, I mean, Alyssa still plays, I believe, unless COVID is like ended Quidditch. But um, Helen stopped a long time ago, but um, the two of them would just like call me out when I was like not making cuts when there was an open space. And like that kind of stuff always made me better because like you know you think you're doing well and without like watching film or really reflecting it's hard to see what you're not capitalizing on in scrimmages and games and so like for me the players that have like called me out on my bs or like called me out on like not doing something have had a huge impact on me and that's like part of the reason me and Bear perry had like such a a good team and like understanding of each other because like it wasn't always like friendly, but you know, we definitely called each other out all the time. And it was like, you know, they would point out each other's mistakes, like, why didn't you do this or something like that? And, you know, it wasn't always received well at first, but like, you know, there was definitely acknowledgement afterwards. And then like more recently, everyone on Bosnia, I have enjoyed playing with, like, it has been an incredible, incredible experience. Every player that has played for Bosnia in the past two years, whether it was for a tournament or multiple tournaments or whatever, everyone has been very supportive of each other and also very good at, I wouldn't even say like constructive criticism. It was just like, like mentorship, you know, to each other, regardless of, of, you know, Quidditch experience or I can't think of a better word for this, but like status, you know, like ranking, like an ability, like that's not the word I wanted, but, um, you know, regardless of, of ability or experience, um, everyone was like always looking to help each other improve. And that was, that was great. Our next guest is Tony Rodriguez, who found Quidditch at a comic convention. He started playing for the Hollyhead Harpies in Los Angeles after reaching out to like start playing, played for them for half a season before joining the Lost Boys as a keeper. As a member of that Lost Boys team, was one of the best games I've ever seen was the Bowling Green Lost Boys game at World Cup 6, leading (laughs) his team to an Elite 8 finish. He played one more year for the Lost Boys before starting the Los Angeles Gambits with Steve DiCarlo. Um, He led and coached that team for five years um, to multiple regional championships until 2019. He was also selected for the 2014 Team USA. Unfortunately, he was unable to play with the team, but he still was a Team USA member. Sadly, right now, he has no pets in his life, but he has lots of really great animals across his career, including a wonderful dog he spent 14 years with, as well as some fun reptiles. So welcome, Tony. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited. This should be fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, we, we really appreciate you coming on. So diving into Quidditch, you came at it, I guess, not necessarily from the, I guess I'll just call it the traditional way, which is a lot of people find out about it through college. Um, 
And so, but you also were, st- you jumped right into playing Keeper, it sounds like. Um, so what what was that kind of like for you to jump into that position in a sport that you hadn't played and, and figuring all that all at? So, yeah, uh, I, I didn't find it like typical people in college. Yeah, I found it uh, at a comic book convention. At that comic book convention, I kind of asked them who was, what position was the, uh, the point guard, because I'm a mm-hmm. basketball player. Um, so I asked him like what position is the point guard which guy is going to be the ball dominant person uh, and kind of uh, run the offense Uh, and they told me keeper so I said all right (laughs) cool then uh, I'm the keeper and uh, (laughs) and it just went from there I mean I played point guard uh, in basketball from the time I was like 14 oh kind of that's like when I stopped growing so I've been the same height since I was 14 so growing up I was always a center but then I had to learn to play point guard. So it was just a natural transition to go from playing point guard in basketball to keeper in Quidditch uh, offensively. Defensively, that's kind of where my uh, center practice as a kid came in. You know, you, as, when you play center in basketball, you got to, you know, get the rebound. So you, you, you learn to read where the ball's going to bounce or learn to box out a guy this way and whatnot. So that's kind of where my keeper style came in. So it was all just basketball stuff. So, yeah, luckily I got to do both of those uh, positions in basketball. So it kind of transitioned over to being a keeper in Quidditch. Yeah, and I think one of the things that has always been, like, super impressive about you as a player is your ability to basically shoot from anywhere. (laughs) Um, How have you kind of developed that over time? Like, I think you started with a really great shot, but it definitely, like, continued and gotten better so have you kind of grown yeah so to start out with it was all just kind of basketball stuff I did play uh a little bit of uh Olympic handball the Europe it's European Mm -hmm. handball I played played that a little bit so that helped shooting but that was more of uh like hard throws so I, I learned that um a lot of times with volleyballs like when you throw them hard they don't necessarily travel straight you know they they catch the wind and they and they break. So uh, it, it was like letting go of some of the velocity to just kind of float it a little more so you get more accuracy on it. And uh, so in, in practice, a lot of times I would just uh, do drills by myself on, on water breaks, running, cutting, and just keep working on my shot. And I'd shoot, you know, 20 on this hoop, 20 on this hoop, 20 on this hoop, Let's take a step back, shoot 20, 20, 20, take a step back, shoot 20. So it was literally the same way you see any you know professional athlete uh our basketball player work on their shot and continue to shoot the same shot over and over and over again until you feel it you know second nature uh i kind of did that uh in practice all the time yeah that's cool to approach it that way i feel like it can it can be daunting to to go through that many repetitions but it i feel like it really will help make it second nature so that no matter like how much coverage you have on you, wh- what the situation is, how much pressure there is to score. Hopefully that instinct then just starts to kick in and you've made that shot hundreds and hundreds of times. So you could always make it again. Right. Yeah. It, it, dude, like it came to a point to where um, it, I didn't even see the defenders in front of me, really. You know, it's just the shot there and just let it go. I feel like drilling without like pressure is always good in that you want to have like your body know like this is where I'm going and this is how this happens so that 
then when you do have any pressure, your body like knows what it's doing. So it's not going to be like, what am I about to do? It's like, okay, we've done this a thousand times. It's the same thing. Just shoot. Right. Yeah. You're just, you're just working on that form and technique. So it literally is just, you know, flawless. You got it down. I mean, obviously, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect. So it's continually work, 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 work at it. So it'd be the best it can be. Actually, one thing that I did want to ask you about is how did you perfect doing like the tuck and stiff arm? Because <laughs> it's such a unique skill that I feel like you're one of the few who's like truly utilized to a good degree. Um, so how'd you kind of get that skill down? Um, so my World Cup six, I saw a guy by the name of Dre Clements uh, playing. And uh, he was, I saw him run down the field with no hands on his broom. And he literally was like stiff arming people, tucking and switching with no hands on the broom at all. And that, that, that was amazing. But uh, I, I seen him using it as a, like a kind of a defensive weapon. He would wait until a guy grabbed him and then he'd push him. And uh, I was like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. Then um, uh, the next season, Jeff Lynn, from UCLA end up joining Lost Boys and he would also do a stiff arm and I see him do that but he he again too used it defensively to where he waited until the people grabbed him and then he started pushing them away so I, I said to myself was like well if I'm running and somebody's already running towards me I'm not going to wait till they grab me I'm going to use it almost like an open palm strike type thing going into like you know like a fighting type thing and I'm just going to hit him with it first before he can even get next to me and uh, it, it became a thing of, in practice, I would always let everybody, as many of them could, that grab me, grab me so I can just work on tucking and uh, how to grab the ball, how to grab my broom. To, so it's all that's all protected because I would tuck the ball under one arm and in that same arm, grab the broom and then stiff arm there. So I, I just looked at it as, as almost like a fight with the guy standing there. I'm going to Cobra high reference strike first strike hard uh, <laughs> uh type thing and uh I, I see the guy if he's on his heels not on the balls of his feet if i hit him once hard real quick bam in the chest with a with a, a stiff arm i know he's gonna fall so i'm, I'm kind of watching his feet in which way he's going if he's if he's playing me to my left I'm going to definitely hit him in the right shoulder. If he's playing me to my right, I'm going to hit him in the left shoulder just to make, create that little bit of space to myself. So I'm watching his feet and watching which way he's shifting before I hit him with the, with the stiff arm so that way I can create a little more, more space for myself. I think a big thing that's already seemed to come up is just your ability to work on anticipating what your opponent's going to do. And I think especially as a keeper, that becomes really important. On the offensive yeah. side as a ball carrier, like you're saying, um, and figuring out either where... Uh, where to drive or how to approach your drive um, with that stiff arm, which hoop to shoot at, and then on the defensive end, where they're, the opponent's going to pass or which hoop they're shooting at. It's, it's cool to see how that kind of skill ties those things together and just anticipating what, what that other team's going to do and how you can best fight against it, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's huge. Uh, and and that's some, that anticipation is, uh, you know, something that, like, I, I you know, had to learn uh as a kid i started playing basketball when i was five so it's uh and, and my main job was to get the rebound so you kind of got to uh anticipate where the ball is going to go where it's going to bounce how it's going to bounce off the rim where the next guy is going to be 
to hit the box out. So you, you know, you may be boxing out the one guy, but you know, the other guy's flying in. So you want to bounce off of this guy, hit the next guy. So it, it was always growing that anticipation from the time I was young to, okay, the defender's going to go here in, in a move. Uh, I push him right. I go left. Um, now, once I start to go left uh, in Quidditch, I, I know the keeper is going to start to veer left with me. So out of the corner of my eye, I'm always going to watch if my, if my wing chase was cutting right because I'm hitting with that pass, a no look right to the right pass or shoot on that hoop. So it's always just, you know, reading and anticipating. So it's huge. It is huge uh, in, in, in the game. Uh, and obviously you're, you're going to anticipate wrong at times, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, I, I would just say, studying habits and movements um, more so like it, it starts to play a bigger factor in anticipation because you, you, you just start to read as opposed to anticipate. You already kind of know, okay, this guy plays a little more this way. This guy does a little more that. Um, and, and it's just study. Yeah. That all makes so much sense. Um, I really wanted to make a Tim Curry anticipation joke, but I will not. <laughs> um, but so when you kind of talked about what you're looking for when you're setting up as on offense, um, right. how are you kind of setting up a defense when you're at keeper? Like, where are you having your other chasers go? Where are you having your beaters going? How are you kind of doing all that communication? Like myself, a lot of times what I'll do is uh, I'll drop behind the hoops a lot of times. I'll play behind the hoops instead of in front of the hoops. That gives me a little extra chance to cover whoever's behind any uh, behind the hoop stuff, I'm already there. I don't got to worry about moving around my hoops. I'm already behind. And then it also lends itself to give me that opportunity to use the keeper's goaltending ability uh, to be able to block shots from behind the hoops, through the hoops. So I sit back a little. The, the, the beaters, a lot of times, you know, just right in front of me in a horizontal setup. And it just kind of goes a seesaw way you know one up one back a little bit drop but stay at angles always and then uh as far as the the chasers it, it it really depends on who we're playing and uh what what they do um offensively you know if, if you're playing against uh like a, a qcb or whatever uh you, you know jake is going to try shooting a lot and uh, so it's, you know, maybe maybe now you'll have one keeper or one of the chasers kind of drop back a little bit. Hey, hey, help defend on the hoops because, you know, this guy's looking for a shot. And also, and then if you have a guy cutting, you're one step away from being able to step right up on him. So, you know, the, the, the defense, I, I think you obviously can't play the same defense for every team. Uh, you kind of got to switch it up. So you just got to know, and that goes back into the studying who you're playing and what they do. No, for sure. I I feel like that like that's something Tufts used to do too, where we would have our keeper behind the hoops, and it's it makes sense because as a keeper, you can you can use that immunity to like block. Um, so why would you not kind of give yourself a little bit more of a visual if it right. works for you? Yeah, um, it, I mean, it gives you that little bit. Like if you're in front of the hoops, your reaction time has to be even faster. But if you're behind the hoops, you give yourself another split second to be able to react to where the shot is going and be able to go put your hand through the hoop and block a shot that way. Exactly. I also feel like in general teams could use on offense the behind, like behind the hoops a little bit more effectively, which this kind of, if you are a team that relies on 
having people behind the hoops and using that space effectively if as a keeper you're setting up behind it makes that much more difficult to utilize properly yeah because most of the cuts you want to make are not open the way that you would expect them to be right right i mean shit on on, on my own uh, accord like this past um my last season when having having grant rose on my team you know the dude is six four six four and a half or whatever i'm always looking behind the hoops grant just go stand behind the hoops dude and i'm gonna just throw it up <laughs> and go get it now and, and i would always tell him you know but go stand in the way to where your man let him be in front of you let him be in front of you angle him in such a way that he's right with the keeper so when that beater goes to just do a turning beat he has to go through two of his own guys you know now if their keeper takes a step back now i have to actually throw an alley-oop over two guys it's a lot more dangerous but so often the keeper plays up that it's, it's just one-on-one -on -one jump and i that's not a problem. So yeah, like you were saying, the behind the hoop stuff is super dangerous, but a lot of teams, um, they don't use utilize it enough, but you look at like Calvary and they, they, they do it a lot and it, it's super effective. Um, so, uh, Tony, do you have any players that you've particularly enjoyed playing against? Um, and I guess I'll clarify a little in, in us writing this question. I think, players that you've played against that you think have helped you kind of develop into the player that you are now? Yeah, man. I, I, love, I love playing against all kinds of people. One, one, one thing I, I try to do is I, I, I try to remember people's names who, who give me a hard time or, you know, uh, I, I just enjoy playing against. One of the uh, people I actually enjoy playing against is this guy named Jake Smith from uh, he, he played last on Gumbo. Um, I played him on when he was on LSU it, it wasn't because he made me better. I'm somebody that likes to talk a lot of shit <laughs> and uh, whatnot. And so did this guy. Yeah, uh, no, so I... it's fun. Uh, Matt McCracken, who, from, who was on Nomads. Yeah. And then went to uh, Lone Star. Same stuff. You know, Matt, Matt McCracken is known to be like a uh, hothead, bully, this, that, and the other. And he tried to do that to me one game. He grabbed my shirt. And he was talking all kinds of shit. And I was just like, dude, I'm the wrong one, first of all. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not that dude. And after the game was over, he goes, man, I respect you so much for standing your ground and whatever. I go, bro, I said, I've been doing this since when you were little. So, <laughs> so like, I like those guys uh, for, for that kind of aspect, to, to, that like my competitive fire like that. But then you got guys that I enjoy playing against too, who are, next level type people you know like Augie obviously I mean you know in this in this fucking sport come on the what the guy's done he's a he's a G there, there's so many people Teddy Costa surprisingly like at first I was like all right this dude is he's okay and then we played against him uh this the my last one and the dude was insane when he was playing with Houston dude was a fucking baller I do think that a lot of these people who you're talking about are people who have like, I feel like in general, Quidditch needs more personality. Hell yes. Hell yes. <laughs> and you've always had such a good person. Like you've had such personality. Like some people might not like the personality that you put out there, but it's <laughs> entertaining and it makes Quidditch fun to watch. Yeah. Like, that's, that's all I hope for. Like, actually I hate lukewarm fans. I hate lukewarm stuff. Right. Like, 
So for instance, um, my, my one and only uh, MLQ uh, experience where our whole team was sick with the flu that uh, weekend, um, we were playing against a, a league city and uh, we ended up losing. But the fans were like, you know, they're watching, they're supporting their league city team and no one is really getting excited or anything. And when we have the ball and we score, they're not booing, they're not doing anything. And I'm like, dude, you, you guys should be hating us right now. We're playing against your team. At least boo us. Do something. Like, show some emotion. So then there was a play. I run down, and I dunk on, like, a few of the League City guys. And after I do that, I lift up my my jersey, and I act like I'm carrying my shirt Superman style. And under it, I was wearing a Superman Under Armour. And showed the <laughs> Superman logo. So I did, like, the, the Cam Newton thing and superman myself. And then, and then just kind of did a little shoulder shrug, like a little flex. And then from that moment on, whenever we touched the ball, the League City fans, boo, you guys suck, go back to L.A. <laughs> and that made me so happy because that's the only way, like, the sport is going to grow is if, if we get people vested, it, fans vested in, in cheering for something and getting it excited about something to watch something to cheer for their team even louder or whatever. So I was always down to play the villain, dude. Hate me, hate me, love me, but just don't be lukewarm about me. So yeah, I I I, I think you 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 need the personalities. It helps. Um. So kind of switching gears from players right. you've played okay. against. Are there any okay. players who you've really enjoyed playing with? Uh, hell no. <laughs> Definitely not. I should be playing tennis. I'm a, I'm a solo act. No, um, <laughs> no, of, of course, of course. So from the heartbeats, um, Anthony Hawkins, that was my favorite teammate there. Obviously, my favorite teammate through my whole career has been Steve DiCarlo. But uh, as far as like chaser line stuff, Vanessa Go mm. might be my might be my favorite teammate uh, to play my receiver you know in, in my whole career uh and we only got to play one season together but uh that was probably my favorite chaser in in, in my whole career yeah vanessa and and an overlooked and an overlooked chaser on my team which a lot of people uh throughout my career they they look and they go okay you had vanessa go you had alex brown i had ren bettendorf for a little bit and then now grant rose or whatever right right there with vanessa is kelby brooks <laughs> as a chaser yeah good for kelby kelby was was a g because kelby used to go do the uh whole flip the field thing for me he would be the guy way behind the hoops so you know I, i'd shoot a long shot well i shoot a long shot if it went in if it didn't go in it was a pass that's you know that's why <laughs> that's why i tell my guy I, I i never missed the long shot i never missed one if if if, if it didn't go in, all the way it was that's right. I'm 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 shooting the pass. I'm shooting the pass always. If 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 it goes in, it was a shot. If it didn't, well, why didn't you catch it? Because it was clearly a pass. Uh, <laughs> um, but Kelby was perfect at that. He was so good at that. Thanks again to all our guests. We really appreciate getting to speak to you all. One big takeaway we had from all of our guests was the importance of fundamentals. Quidditch as a sport is new to most everyone who's been playing it. So working on the skills that you'll use every time you play is always a good use of time. 
If you train your body to always do the little things correctly, it'll be ready for when those more complicated situations arise. And another thing we notice is, while this is important in most positions in Quidditch, our guests mentioned the importance of finding or defining your role clearly on your team as a keeper. Not every keeper will play exactly the same way, but since it's a position that often sees a lot of the field and can communicate and lead the team, it's especially important to know what ways you can help your team the most and to fill those roles. Maybe that means being a primary ball carrier on offense or more of a distributor and communicator. It really depends on your play style and their teammates around you. Thanks again to Nick Jablonski, our producer, and Christina Gux, who created the music featured on this podcast. Please remember again to submit any questions you want us to discuss in the form linked in the podcast description. And remember to check out the other 8th Man podcasts. There's the pod hosted by Kellen Cupid and Ethan Warren, and Big Man Bias with Ash and Jean Lewis. Thank you again for listening. We're excited to keep this going through 2021. Have some exciting ideas in the works. So we are so glad you are continuing to listen to us. Thank you.